Now, if you'll join me in standing out of reverence and honor for God's word, our scripture reading for this morning will be from the book of Romans, chapter 8, and we will look in particular at verses 15 through 17, Romans 8, 15 through 17, and these are the words of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we do praise you for the great grace that is adoption, that you would take us from being slaves to sons, from being alienated to be adopted, that you have done this through the beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Spirit. We pray that you would open our eyes, that we might see more and more and behold more and more the glory of this truth. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, full confession, I have something shockingly amazing to tell you. I probably have already tipped my hand, but nonetheless, I feel it weighs so heavily upon me that I must tell you, I cannot hold it in any longer and this truth is, is, is so shocking, so surprising, and so amazingly true that I feel I cannot bottle it up inside any longer. And so I would advise you to sit down because you might faint when I tell you this truth. And good thing you already are sitting down because here comes this revelatory truth. The truth is, and kids, you should pay attention as well, that you are adopted. You are adopted. And I know what you're thinking. Your mind is probably spinning right now, and you're saying, oh, yes, it all makes sense. Why all my family has brown eyes, and I have blue eyes? Why everyone in my family is so tall, and I am so short? Oh, yes, it makes sense. It's the top secret truth that I am adopted. But, of course, I am not speaking of an earthly adoption, as amazing as that would be, as shocking as that would be. No, I am speaking of something that is far greater and far more glorious, and that is the truth of our adoption in Jesus Christ, whereby God the Father adopts us through his Son by way of the Holy Spirit to be in God's family. Uh, the great theologian J.I. Packer once commented this on adoption. He writes, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. To be right with God as judge is a wonderful thing, but how great to be loved and cared for by God as a father. Indeed, father is the Christian name for God. Now, that is quite a claim when you think about it, that adoption is our highest privilege. And Packer seems to be saying that no doubt forgiveness of our sins is a great act of God and no doubt deals with our primary need that in light of God's law, we are condemned as guilty trespassers. 
Our sin positions us under the wrath of a holy and just God, and God in his grace sends Jesus Christ to bear the penalty of our sin and redeem us from the curse of the law. But you can almost hear it in that language, law, penalty, guilt, judgment, that when you and I are reconciled to God, the context of much of that is that of a holy judge and me, the offending party, the offending sinner. I wonder, is there not a longing in us for more than that, right? In other words, how unsettling might it be if God, in a sense, stopped there, as it were, and said, you may only relate to me, you may only come to me as a forgiven person to a holy judge. There seems to be something in us having been made in the likeness of God, in the image of God, that would long to come to him as a child, as unto a father. And so our main point this morning is simply that, is that Christians are adopted by God the Father through Jesus Christ by way of the Holy Spirit, a triune adoption. And so we'll walk through this text in three simple parts, looking at the spirit of adoption, firstly, Secondly, the privilege of adoption. And then lastly, the inheritance of adoption. So firstly, the spirit of adoption. Now, there really are only two ways to come into a family, right? You can either be born into a family or you can be adopted into a a family. And note that our text makes clear that prior to our spiritual adoption, we are born into a family. And this prior family, you'll see, had a, a family history a certain way of doing things, a kind of genetic makeup, if you will, as verse 15 very aptly summarizes the family lifestyle as a spirit of slavery. I remember for my son's school, he was assigned this school project where each student had to create a a family coat of arms, a family crest, if you will. And as you can imagine, children decorated these coat of arms with Images that connoted valor and strength, maybe a lion on the coat of arms or, or an eagle. And then mottos, of course, that again would, would connote things like service and love and humility and valor on the, the crest of arms. And yet what Paul is telling us in verse 15, that if you and I were to design a, a spiritual coat of arms, as it were, that most accurately described the family that we are born into and the condition that we inherit then our coat of arms would no doubt have something like an image of a man or a woman in shackles, in chains, perhaps a head hung low, in shame, in despair, in humiliation, recognizing the hopeless truth that we are entirely powerless to break those chains. And maybe it's capped off with the motto across this crest that reads, the spirit of slavery belongs to all born into this family. And that is what Paul is telling us. You can no doubt look at your your mom or dad and see the traits maybe that you inherited from them. You can look at your dad and go, oh, yes, that's where I got my dimples, or that's where I got my, my height. And you look at your mom and go, I got my intelligence from mom, no doubt, not from dad. And Paul is saying, as we look to Adam, our first father, our parent, as it were, our family head, it is through him. We receive this spirit of slavery and are held captive by our own sins and lie under its heavy, heavy guilt. The great author Charles Dickens, you might have noticed in so many of his novels, has an orphan as as a character. And 
Much of that is because Dickens himself spent some time as an orphan, and so he, of course, has insight into it from his own perspective. Let me just read for you an excerpt from his book, David Copperfield, the boy character, himself an orphan, who I think encapsulates this life so well. He writes, My stripes were sore and stiff. I cried afresh when I moved, but they were nothing compared to the guilt that I felt. Gloom and fear and remorse. All this appears to have gone round and round for years instead of days. And it's so strongly stamped upon my remembrance. And there's a sense as if Paul is telling us in Romans, I know your former life might be stamped upon your remembrance. And that the fear of punishment creeps at your door and that you might doubt your faith and doubt the goodness of God. And that shame might make it easier to come before God and say, God, treat me as one of your hired servants instead of treat me as a beloved son or daughter. And so just look what Paul says in verse 15 that really does carry the force of a command when he writes, do not fall back. Do not retreat. Do not lapse back into that spirit of slavery. Do not regress back into that former manner of life marked by guilt and shame and disobedience. Do not be like those Israelites who said, oh, life was so much better in Egypt when we were slaves. Perhaps we're eager to say, well, Paul, I mean, please give us a reason why. I mean, give us one convincing reason why we wouldn't fall back. I mean, after all, you've just convinced us and reminded us that we are born into this family of death. And we receive this spirit of slavery from our first parents. Why wouldn't, why shouldn't we fall back into that spirit? And Paul says, well, I'm so glad you asked. Because what you have received is far greater and far more glorious. And the truth is that you have a new family and a new spirit. As verse 15 says, in the place of that spirit of slavery, you have received the spirit of adoption. And so you can see we go from a natural family to a supernatural family, a natural birth to a supernatural birth. And we're right to ask the question, well, how does this happen? How do we get there? Well, just like an earthly adoption, where it is the parents, not the child, but the parents who are the initiators, who are the chooser of a child, how much more so with our great God? As we just read in Ephesians, that our great God predestines us to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. In other words, not a family of our choosing, not a destiny of which we could boast about that we chose beforehand, but God before the foundation of the world predestined us. Unless we ever think, ever, that God's predestination is some kind of dispassionate, mechanical, reach into a tank of humans and I'll just grab whatever happens to be in that tank. What does Ephesians say? How did God predestine us? But in love, God predestined us. And according to the riches of his grace that he lavishes upon us to the praise of his glory, he adopts us. Friends, are you aware? Do you have any notion of that great adoptive love of God the Father through Jesus Christ this morning? So there's a word on the spirit of adoption. We transition out of the spirit of death 
and slavery into the spirit of adoption. But that is only the beginning. Let's consider now the privileges that come with adoption. And even notice in our verse, what is the result? What does Paul say is our response to this amazing adoption as verse 15 continues? It tells us that we cry out, Abba, Father. Now that is a rather remarkable phrase when you think about it. I mean, one of the things that continually got Jesus into trouble was the way he kept referring to God, to Yahweh, as my Father. As John 5 says, the Jews are seeking to kill him, not just for Sabbath breaking, not just for those other items, but for calling God his own Father. I mean, if you want to get a target on your back in the first century, go around and call God. Not Yahweh, not El Shaddai, not Jehovah, but say, God is my Father. And of course, this is no empty claim for the Lord Jesus Christ, is it? That he was and is and always shall be the beloved Son of God, with whom God is well pleased. That there is no greater love than the great love of God the Father for his Son, Jesus Christ. And so as we begin to think about our adoptive privileges, we might put at the very top of the list our access to God, our approach to God. That what makes it so remarkable that when the resurrected Christ tells Mary, Mary, I am going not just to my father, I am going to your father as well. How startled might have she been to think, did Jesus just say, he's not only going to his father, but my father too? Could that really be true of me? And such is the nature of this word Abba. In verse 15, you've probably heard that Abba was this term of endearment that expresses this intimate access to God, a kind of first century daddy. You've probably also heard that, that is linguistically not true at all, and that commentators are all over the map over this word Abba. But perhaps more to the point, it's not so much Abba, but the verb in this, verse 15, that we cry out Abba, Father. That you remember that Jesus in Mark 14 cried out Abba, Father, if possible, remove this cup from me. And friends, what privilege that you can echo. Say the identical thing that the Lord Jesus did. That Paul's point is that in our walk, our tribulations, our temptings, our moments of despair and discouragement, you have this intimate access, boldness, confidence to come to the great creator of all things. And cry out to him with a childlike confidence that he hears you as a son coming to a father. If I could invoke Charles Dickens but one more time, there's this great scene where his old family comes back to recapture him, the family that was so oppressive to him. And all these old memories start to flood back into his consciousness and he's full of fear. But this time, his, his aunt interferes, and his aunt stands up for him and says, you cannot take David Copperfield back because he's mine. I've claimed him. I've adopted him as my child. This is what David Copperfield writes. He says, thus, I began my new life in a new name and with everything new about me. And now that the state of doubt was over, I felt like one in a dream. 
And is that not, in a sense, the Christian life? A new life, a new name, and with everything new about me. And is indeed very much the doctrine of adoption that in particular grants us such wonderful privileges. Now we might say of a well-off, silver-spooned child that he or she is privileged, right? Born into this privileged, advantaged family. Well, when it comes to adoption, you should know that no one is more privileged than the ordinary Christian, than you or I. That as the Shorter Catechism says, it is by way of adoption that we have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Hear that once more. You have a right to all the privileges. That what does the father say to the elder brother of the prodigal son? Son, all that is mine is yours. Everything that is mine is yours. That as Romans says, God the father did not spare his own son. How would he not also, with Christ, graciously give us all things. Perhaps you're thinking, a right? That seems like too strong of language. Maybe Paul is overextending himself here. I mean, really? A right to all the privileges? But once we realize it is not a natural right, it is not a birthright, it is not a constitutional right, that it is a Christ right. As John 1 says, that to all who believed in him, who believed in Jesus, He gives the right to become children of God. And so in the good sense of the word, you are as entitled as it gets. There is no one more entitled than the Christian. That is to say, entitled to the hope of heaven, entitled to life everlasting, entitled to bold access to God the Father, entitled to the great and very precious promises of God. And why so much wealth? Why so much entitlement? Solely because and to the praise of Jesus Christ, who won for us, merited for us, the very right that we forfeited by our disobedience. And I hope that highlights why Christ is the true son and the beloved son. For unlike Adam, it was his perfect obedience. And unlike Adam and unlike you and I, his was a complete righteousness And unlike Adam and unlike you or I, his zeal was always for his father's house. And so he's the true last Adam. So if you're here this morning and and, and not a Christian, would not call yourself a Christian, perhaps you've heard the modern expression that we are all God's children. And that all people, regardless of race or sex or background, and most of all religion, we are all God's children. And you need to know that is not true. That is a falsehood that it is only the Lord Jesus Christ and through him that he gives the right to become a child of God, a right that he won by his cross and his resurrection life. And so hear this good news to you this morning that that is a right given, given because you cannot earn it and given to those who believe in his name. And so great is this privilege, I wonder for the rest of us, has it really sunk in have you really grasped at it? I remember when my children were small and I was trying to teach them the value of a dollar. And it dawned on me really quickly, is, especially when they were little, that it really didn't matter how much money you, you give them. They, they just don't have the capacity to appreciate it. So you could say, son, I'm going to give you a dollar or $10 or $100 or $1,000. 
And it really doesn't click because just mathematically, they don't have the capacity to understand the nature of true wealth. They just can't wrap their little minds around it. I do wonder, is that the case for us? With our little minds, our little hearts when it comes to spiritual wealth. How much we need to grow in our awareness of just how great a thing it is to be a child of God. And so verse 16 just happens to give us the remedy for our dullness. As verse 16 says, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness or testifies or makes known to our spirit that we are indeed the children of God. That so great and so vast is this treasure beyond our natural capacity. That what a good father, God gives us the Holy Spirit and pours his love out into our hearts to realize, to clarify, to testify indeed what a good father he is in giving us this adoptive grace. One of the great scenes from John's gospel leading up to Christ's resurrection is he's talking to his disciples there in the upper room letting him know that yet a little while he will not be with them, that they will no longer see him as far as his earthly ministry goes. And you can imagine their fear, their dread, their anxiety. And what is it met with but that beautiful promise, I will not leave you as what? As orphans. You will not be orphans, though I will be taken by the enemy and crushed and crucified and beaten and mocked. I promise you, Thomas, I promise you, Philip, even though it feels like it may be, you are not an orphan because I will ask for another helper and God will send this helper who is the Holy Spirit that, that you may be in me and I in you. And friends, that is the very promise of Christ to you, that he has not left you as an orphan, that he has not left you father hungry, that he has sent forth his spirit into our hearts. And so just imagine that, remember that, on those times when it seems like your, your heart or your conscience is a courtroom, and how often it might be that your, your own doubts or perhaps the attacks of the enemy stands up as a prosecuting attorney to accuse you, to bring evidence against you, heaps doubt upon you, points to that argument with your spouse or your irritability towards your children or your lack of prayer or your lack of obedience or your laziness at work and says, do you not see this evidence of your condemnation. You who would call yourself a Christian, yet you do these things. How dare you? Paul says, well, the Holy Spirit is the authoritative witness who overcomes such wily prosecuting attorneys and shuts them up and shuts them out and bears this great internal witness like a balm to the soul that says, no, you are indeed a child of God with such privileges bestowed by the Lord Jesus himself. And so, our adoption is that we are transported from this old family, we go to a new family, we have these privileges, we get there in and by Christ alone, and lastly, let us look at our great inheritance, our inheritance. Perhaps at some times in your life, you've had that task of completing a will, right, designating where all your possessions must go and when you go, and uh, I noticed for my wife and I, when we completed our will, it was really a rather easy decision, right, in terms of whether it's a charitable organization or donate it to some cause. Of course, the first and prevailing thought is it ought to go to our children. 
And as Proverbs says, right, the, the good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And how much more so for our great God. And what great proof that he considers us as true children, that he gives us this great inheritance. And notice that is exactly what verse 17 says. If children, in other words, if you really are children, truly children, then heirs. You are heirs with God, co-heirs with Christ. What Christ has gained for us, Christ shares with us. There is no greater undeniable proof that God considers us not as slaves, but as sons in that we have an inheritance. That Christ as our older brother gives us the blessing of Abraham, wins the right to eat of the tree of life, opens the way for eternal communion with God, and all of it counted as our inheritance. Do you know that this morning? Christian, do you know that you are the wealthiest person that you know? That you have the greatest trust fund ever bestowed upon a child? That you have the Lord God himself as your exceedingly great reward and the hope of resurrection life to see the king in his beauty. And that inheritance is kept for you undefiled and unfading. Now perhaps you're thinking, well, this is just, this is too rich. I mean, does not at some point this make the children of God spoiled children? Well, just notice as the text continues in verse 17, Paul says, provided that we suffer with him. And notice what kind of sufferings they are. That our suffering is not random. It's not isolated. It's not lonely suffering. Our suffering does not just happen to fall upon us without reason. Our suffering is in and with Jesus Christ. As Philippians says that we share, we participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so how contrary to the notion that being a child of God removes all hardship, affliction, and suffering. And perhaps this is when it is the hardest to understand. That when we suffer, that those may be the moments we are most tempted to call into question God's fatherly care over us as a son or as a daughter. I do pray you see that that is when we ought to be most certain that we are not orphans, that we are not abandoned. For we see the very reverse as the text continues and completes that thought to say that we suffer with Christ so that, in order that, we might be glorified with him. That it is the cross before the crown. That suffering is but the fire to, to burn away the impurity so that the gold might shine all the brighter. And that it is not despite our tribulations, but through our tribulations, we do inherit the kingdom of God. And so as we begin to close, let us consider, meditate upon just, just two notes of our adoption that we see from Romans 8. Firstly, adopted children are assured children. Adopted children have assurance. It's, of course, unique to a good father-son relationship, is that a son knows implicitly, I can trust dad. I know I can trust dad. I know dad will make good on his promises. Friends, that is our position, doubly so with our great God. 
that God has given us his great and very precious promises, finding their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And the question for you this morning is, are you the son or daughter who believes, who trusts, who is assured of such promises? And more to the point, do you know the character of this great God so well, knowing how trustworthy, how loving, how merciful, how gracious he is, that you can lay hold of and grasp those promises of God with great assurance. And if not, take heart that God has given his spirit to bear witness to our spirit that we are indeed his children. As we take stock of our spiritual condition, how often it is that our own anxiety or fear or depression or panic or sexual immorality or all manner of ungodliness filling this vacuum, all these insecurities that manifest themselves. Though what a balm to the soul would be to know the Christian's law is I am assured, I am secured by God my Father. That I could look to the lilies of the field that are clothed and know of how much greater value am I because God is my Father. Secondly, Adopted children not only are assured children, but adopted children are children who have access. Children who have access. We have this newfound boldness when we approach God. Right? God is a holy God. God is a vengeful God. God is an all-consuming fire. That when Isaiah sees God, God Isaiah c- cries out, Woe is me! Woe is me! And he falls down. And what is different? What has changed? Well, to be totally clear, it is not as though the holiness of God is lessened. It is not that God is less vengeful. It is not that God is less just or less righteous. But what is new is our approach. That we have been graced to approach that same God, crying out, Abba, Father. And if you were to walk the streets of Jerusalem today, you could hear little children tugging on their father's sleeve and arm, saying, Abba, Abba, knowing that dad will tune out every other voice and tune in the voice of his child. And when was it you last approached God and drew near to God as your father? I mean, sincerely prayed and confessed and repented and pleaded and communed with God, not as some far-off distant deity, but as your father. Christian, such a blessed privilege is yours today. For your elder brother, the beloved son of God, has brought you from slave to son, from alienated to adopted, from fear to a fellow heir, all to the praise of the triune God. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, indeed, what an amazing privilege and grace that has been graced to us by our older brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has won for us what we have forfeited, that he has gained for us what we could never attain, and that you have been so kind and gracious to look upon us, predestining us to it, that we might be the very children of God. We pray that such truth would be laid up in our hearts, treasured in our hearts, and that we might walk it out in a way that is pleasing to you. And we do ask these things in Jesus' name.
and Amen.